If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe Podcast family. That's spelled B-L-E-A-V. And that is why on episode 150, the name of the podcast that you are listening to is Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. And, um... Yeah, I'm only a few away from doing three years of having a weird name for a podcast that I did not sign up for. Um, maybe I'll do something for the three-year anniversary for that. Uh, but in the meantime, I want to welcome uh, a very, very esteemed guest who, I mean, you if you're listening to this, you probably have seen and loved his work on The Simpsons, on Futurama, Portlandia, uh, and a bunch of other things, uh, namely Mission Hill. Uh, please go up for Bill Oakley, everybody. Woo! Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I can't hear you, but I know you're clapping in your <laughs> yeah. car or your bathroom, wherever you're listening to this. Absolutely. People want to stop when the intro of a podcast happens, and they want to have a round of applause. Good. Okay, good. I think that yeah. we are mission accomplished in that case. Yeah, absolutely. How's it going, Bill? Good. It's going well. I'm excited to be here. Uh, thanks uh, for joining in. Um, you're, so, I mean, you have had a long storied career as a writer, specifically in animation. Uh, I mean, and I feel like you've seen several generations of animation comedy what's the thing that stands out to you that has changed if anything at all oh man it's an interesting story it's interesting thing because some things have changed and some things have not changed at all obviously there is the greatest change is that people are willing the general public is it's no longer considered just for kids i think this is the important thing that that really happened over that took about 30 years to happen. It's not even, it's not completely happened yet. Right. But people, even when we were on the Simpsons in the nineties, you run into people who would say to your face, they would say, Oh, I don't watch cartoons. Cartoons are for kids. And we're like, this is a, a fucking Emmy award. This is the number one show on TV. And people are like, <laughs> well, that's for kids. It's cartoons, you know? And it only was after uh, the Simpsons spawned all these other things like 
uh, or, or rather other things started to take, you know, hit like King of the Hill, South Park, Family Guy, and it started to become more respected as a medium, although it's still in its own category in the Emmys and things. And it still is thought of by many, especially older people, as something that's exclusively for kids. So that has changed, but you'll still find pockets of resistance out there. Now, what has not changed? The people who are buying animation at movie studios and TV studios and streaming services mm -hmm. still have a lot of crazy stuff in their heads. Like <laughs> they, they're like, well, they have these some of I know who invented this theory, but like there's a certain theory that things you should never buy any program unless it has to be animated. And I'm like, well, dude, you know, King of the Hill was on for 15 years or whatever, mm -hmm. and it didn't have to be animated. It was much better animated, but it didn't have to be. Mission Hill is very much the same thing in that genre. And what we've encountered that when talking about sort of this Mission Hill revival, we've encountered that from numerous places that continue. It makes me want to yank my teeth out where <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, why do you say that? It doesn't make any sense. You know, can you look at that? I don't know. Look at King of the, <laughs> look at King of the Hill. It, it, you know, how much, how much money did that make? It was on for so many years and it didn't have to be animated, but this animation gave it a certain type of a vibe that you couldn't otherwise have. And other, many other great things like, you know, peanuts didn't have to be animated. You could have had real kids do that, but right. because it was, it made it very special. And that's just like, I don't, it, I've never been so frustrated as I currently am with the people who are in charge of of tv services and i have to say i'm glad to see that many of them are getting fired <laughs> oh you are not alone in that uh, not alone at all i it is it, you know it's fascinating that you say that that hasn't changed um because i mean i feel like we're with all the sort of recounting of history of television and movies and like you know a canonization of adult animation being like its own genre you know where like yeah. i feel like in the 90s uh that wasn't a thing yes oh definitely that's the case and it isn't it is a it is still but it's a, still a niche and that's part of the issue right because it's it unfortunately it attracts a smaller audience than live action in general and it tends to attract a certain audience that is um that is a niche you know as i said and mm -hmm. so places like you know the adult swim is a place where you can see stuff that's truly blossoming but on the other hand because it's a niche their budgets are tiny you know and that's except for rick and morty obviously but even that probably had a low budget when it started out right um so like people because of the fact that this doesn't attract it's not going to attract nearly the number of people that a sports broadcast or something like Abbott elementary would uh attract because it's animated they're going to give you a lot less money for it. And as the money, as the pie gets sliced into so many more little pieces with all these other outlets there, you're going to get even tinier and tinier. At which point it's like, maybe I should just do this on my own mm -hmm. and animate it on my own with some volunteers and right. put it online where it will probably be seen by just about as many people who would see it on your streaming service, you know? Right. And it makes you question the whole value of being on TV to begin with in some sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I mean, there's a number of, I mean, I know it's not animation, but like MST3K self-funded themselves kind of out of the same spirit. Yeah. I think, I don't know for sure. I know that it was on Comedy Central for a while, but like, right. I suspect that's the case. And I think a lot of stuff, part of the problem is that it's harder to do with animation because it's so expensive. Yes. You know, you can make and a hilarious comedy show on your phone 
for $0 if you do it live action. But if you're going to animate it, it's going to take a lot of time and money on someone's behalf. Right. Um, with the every, everything that's changed over the years, um, I, and maybe this will feed into why, why, the why of what you're doing right now. Um, do you think Mission Hill was ahead of its time? We've been told, we didn't think it was ahead of its time, but everyone else seemed to. I think that's part of the problem. It, well, it was it had a number of it had a number of problems existing, mm-hmm. being so being that it was on this network that like we pitch it Warner Brothers the WB network, which nobody's even heard of these days, nobody even remembers, right. was a network that was in, inter, eager for content of any type mm-hmm. when we pitched it because it was new. Right. But during the time that we had after we'd sold it but before we finished animating it it suddenly decided it was the teenage girl network and how the success <laughs> with stuff like buffy and uh, popular and roswell and charm and stuff right. and we were orphans by the time we were ready to go on the air and thus we never had we only aired like three times and then they just sold the show to adult swim all 13 episodes of it where it ran over and over and over for decades because again it was super cheap and maybe not for decades but for seven or eight years Right. And that was where the audience came from. And it's exciting to see today that people who you know grew up watching it or were teenagers watching it on Adult Swim, mm-hmm. now it has its own fan base that was not at all the fan base that we had any idea that we were ever going to get. Because right. you, you know, cable TV wasn't even really that big a deal back then. Mm-hmm. And um, the show, but it attracted a certain type of demographic, which is very true to the type of people depicted in Mission Hill. It seemed like the people who were in Mission Hill who were a certain alternative type of young people really gravitated towards it. And it's extremely gratifying to see them at these live shows. Right. Um, and it, I mean, that's that was your hope when you created the show. It just took a long time to get to those people. And Yes, exactly. Wait. Yeah. And well, how do you feel about... So like the... I think probably part of that following was the fact that the episodes found their way to onto YouTube free of what, you know, whatever sort of direction you had towards it. And, but a bunch of of people watched it. You can watch them right now. Yes. That is the thing that's interesting about this is that because we're going to get into some areas, hopefully that nobody listening to this is ever going to be affiliated with Warner brothers. Mm-hmm. And no, nobody listening to this is ever going to know anybody affiliated with Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. because we're going to talk about some stuff that we don't want them to hear. So yeah. don't, so be a good listener and don't, don't take us out here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, the show Warner Brothers doesn't seem to ever realize that they own the show, and <laughs> that has worked to our advantage uh, over the years. Because, for instance, on YouTube. People put the whole show on YouTube and nobody nobody ever took it down. You know, <laughs> you can't put whole Simpsons episodes on YouTube mm-hmm. and you, or, you know, whatever, but you can't. But Mission Hill has been on YouTube and that's where a lot of people saw it. But I will say the thing about the Mission Hill that is on YouTube is that it's taken from the DVDs and the DVDs don't have the original music because Warner Brothers didn't want to pay for it. So every we had a lot of really great music, uh, musical cues and songs from cool bands and stuff back then. And it's right. all been stripped out. And that's part of what I think we're going to segue into here is mm-hmm. the show that we're doing mm-hmm. that is uh, that has the music back and has the entire series upscaled to 4K where it looks magnificent. Right. And and it is gorgeous animation on top of that, you know. Yeah. So absolutely. it should be it should be restored. So when 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 did this idea come to you that the 
like either was a following a B, like maybe we should restore it. We should like go on a tour, have all the original music, et cetera, et cetera. It, it didn't come to me really at all. Someone, mm-hmm. this was all done by a fan mm-hmm. who did it for free. We did it for fun. You know, and that's part of the magic of this thing is that the fans really are dedicated to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody sent me a message on Twitter about a year ago that said, hey, did you know that someone has uh, has upscaled Mission Hill to 4K? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And the whole series and the and I eventually got uh, in touch with the person who had done it, who was obviously going to remain anonymous, right. who had used an AI program to go through every single frame of the entire series, all 13 episodes. And upscale it to 4K, where it looks great. I mean, it looks like the show was not in 4K. It was on broadcast television in the 90s, right. you know. So, um, you know, it was four by three and all that stuff. And but, but now it looks great. It looks incredible on a TV screen. It looks great on a movie screen, you know, a 70-foot movie screen. Right. And they also, because there are some people online, on I think mainly on BitTorrent, who did have the series with the original music, mm-hmm. this person was able to restore all the original music as well. Wow. So the show is it's amazing and it's really fun to see it because uh, most people, almost everybody, unless they saw it on Adult Swim, I think back in the day, well, ten, at least 10 years ago, have never seen it again with the original music. And they certainly haven't seen it in 4K. And it's really exciting because I hadn't seen it either. And like, I'm, I'm shocked. I remember like, oh my God, that was such a great music cue we had there. And I never heard it again. Right, um, right, right. So it's really, really fun. And it's also like, you know, this tour, we never had the idea of having this tour. What happened was uh, there's a local theater in Portland where I live, which had wanted to do an event with me. And we can never figure out what to do until this came along. And I was like, hey, what if we, so I sent the guy who made it a blank hard drive. And he copied all the we you know we we sent him some uh, autographed uh, animation cells so he got so he got a, a little bit of something in return but um, we now have he gave me all the files on a hard drive and so we had this thing in Portland where we did it and Josh Weinstein my partner obviously that's this, everything we're talking about here is Josh Weinstein and me he flew up and we had a show and it sold out it was hugely successful and then um, we have since been doing it other places other places heard about it. Mm-hmm. online and this produ- a producer n- named uh jeremy from this my show productions has has been helping us out has been basically manning the whole operation mm-hmm. booking it in the other cities so we have uh we're going to dc or to new york we're going to atlanta we're going to chicago we're going to seattle mm-hmm. and a couple other ones that that escape me at the moment um and, and just doing the show and basically the show is uh, we so we show three or four episodes uh, of this, of this restored uh, mastered thing with the music, and then Josh and I have a Q and A. We answer questions, uh, we sign stuff, and you know we hang out with people who who whether they have signed stuff, take pictures with them or whatever. And uh, it's been incredibly fun so far. That's amazing. What it what is the like? I mean, the live in person reception. To a show like I don't think you could even imagine doing anything like that when you originally created the show. No, we we have never seen it with an audience, and so it's really fun because people obviously these people are pre-selected. They're not just random people off the street. These are people right. who like Mission Hill enough to buy a ticket, so they're right. going to appreciate. They're pre-selected to appreciate it, and they you right. know they laugh at the jokes in the right places and stuff, um, mm-hmm. and they're enthusiastic about the proper things. So it's it is fun to see them with the fun, very fun to see the episodes mm-hmm. with a group like that. Right. 
Um, what, what, uh, is there any singular demographic that stands out uh, as this following? Or are they a big mixed bag? I mean, uh, there are definitely people, I would say, there. you're not a lot of straight-laced people in business suits. Let me put it sure. that way. Sure. There's a lot of people who, they, they almost all tend to be under 35. Uh -huh. uh, they tend to have a more artistic or alternative bent mm -hmm. to them. Um, you know, a lot of them are into animation or, or artists themselves right. or, or, you know, bands, things like that. It, it definitely is reflective of the type of stuff that we covered in Mission Hill. Um, also there's a big, Gus and Wally have a big fan following too. Mm -hmm. and, and I should say, you know, Gus and Wally are the characters in the show. They were somewhat minor characters mm -hmm. early on in the show. Um, right. but then they grew into their own popularity. They were the, they were a gay couple in, you know, their late sixties, early seventies. And when you didn't see that kind of thing on TV. And in fact, Gus and Wally had the first gay kiss that was ever broadcast on television at all mm -hmm. of any type um, in 1999. And so people, I, I, we definitely hear almost in every show from several people who are like, mm -hmm. I grew up in this small town. I'd never seen any gay people that weren't cartoonish stereotypes, right. heterosexual stereotypes on TV. And I really loved Gus and Wally. And it really meant something to me to see this world, not just Gus and Wally, but this whole world on TV. So people like that as well often stand up you know, when we're having Q and A and, and talk about their experience with the show. That's amazing. Considering, I think it was um, the first gay character on a, on a sitcom was somewhere in the seventies. Oh yeah. There were probably yeah. a lot of ones who were not, they didn't say we're gay, but acted, you know, <laughs> in a certain way that was car very cartoonish in retrospect. Right. Like in the writer's room, they would say things that would, for the character that would probably get canceled today. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then fast forward to today where like, you know, uh, I think the internet spent a week and a half talking about one episode of last of us because it followed a queer relationship. Yeah. That was a pretty amazing episode too, that you have to say. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was definitely not the same kind of thing that you it's a little more commonplace on TV today, but still not. It wasn't done quite as well as that. Most of them, not, that was pretty, uh, pretty much a masterpiece. That episode. Yeah. How do you think? I mean, considering that you wanted to get a little more, um, or sh shall I say, I guess less cartoony than The Simpsons when you went with Mission Hill. Uh, how do you? How do you feel like your? sort of touching upon the times with that series fits into today considering everything that's happened since well the, the show is a period the thing is the show was not originally meant to be a period piece and now right. it is yeah you know now it's a throwback to the to the late 90s into a more innocent pre-9-11 era pre-y2k uh, yeah pre-y2k pre-9-11 pre and pre-internet, basically, I mean, people still had, there was no smartphones, yeah. you know, the, we, the internet is seen on the computer a couple of times, yeah. you know, when people playing video games or watching or looking at the Drudge Report, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's a, it is, it is a period piece now when it was not originally. Yeah. And that's interesting too, because people have nostalgia mm -hmm. for that era. Right. Um, you, have you found anything that's like changing your comic sense? Cause you've written for so many different shows that covered so many different eras. Um, you know, what is it like writing for The Simpsons in the 90s and then Mission Hill and then like Portlandia, which I feel like is pr a lot closer to now. 
Yeah, I mean, Mission uh, Portlandia is almost a period piece now too, though. Like, yeah. it's really weird because it depicts an era that was a pre-Trump era, where there was an era of innocence. I think to you know where <laughs> we hipsters i mean it depicts an era where like a hip type of people were living in complete oblivion um before donald trump was elected and like that kind of person basically vanished from the streets of portland <laughs> around 2016 2017 right. um right. and and so did their culture to a large extent um right although it's back it's definitely in a, in a different type of vibe than it was in the show portlandia right uh well with that in mind because you've also written on futurama I mean, even thinking about that, there's innocence in that show. But like, I feel like a whole generation or just everyone who's been alive since 2015 has been robbed of their innocence. Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, not only the Trump administration, but also COVID. It's definitely a whole people. I mean, it's, you know, 10 years from now, everything is going to look anything's made between before 2016 is going to look really quaint. Yeah. And that's why there, I feel like, has been a deluge, both in animated and live action, of just, like, um, dramedy. Things that are dramedy. Or, like, part of probably why BoJack Horseman resonated so well. That show gets super dark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it go Like, if you were to do another animated series going forward... I mean, what what do you what do you think the tone is that you would try to strike? I mean, would there be more explicit moments of candor or vulnerability, or would it just try to be the opposite? It seems and uh, be about the multiverse and just escapism and maximalism purely. I think it would be more escape. You know, I have to say that my style tends to stick pretty close to what we consider to be classic Simpsons. Mm -hmm. uh, Mission Hill was very much written in that style, just with a different cast of characters. Right. Um, and that I tend to think like things like Bob's Burgers is a good example. Mm -hmm. Bob's Burgers could pretty much take place anytime since 1955. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing that anchors it in this era. And, but it also has kind of a heart, which I like too. So like if I were to create a show, another show would probably be somewhere in the vein of somewhere between Mission Hill and Bob's Burgers in terms of, it wouldn't be extremely anchored in the moment. It would not, it would have heart and it wouldn't be that dirty. I feel like we have, a, we have an ample number of shows already that are really raunchy or have like little kids that talk about sex a lot or whatever, you know, like, I feel like there's, that's well covered. What I don't think is well covered is shows that have genuine heart and those are hard to write. Um, right. and, but you do get that in Bob's Burgers and you do get that in The Simpsons sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, very, very other, most of the shows don't really try to do it as I said, often because they can't get through the door because executives are like, well, why does this need to be animated? Why are there talking animals in it? And then, right. then it never gets made. Right. Unless it's Lauren Bouchard's name attached to it. That's right. Well, he, the, Lauren has a, has a track record in that genre. Yeah. Well, I mean, just when you mentioned heart, I mean, between Bob's Burgers and the Great North and um, uh, Central Park, Right, the, uh, that's the name of the series. The, uh, Central yeah, Park. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's called. Yes. Yeah, this <laughs> is brain fog for a minute. But yeah, I mean, uh, there's heart at all of it, and it feels like every episode kind of has a moral, but it's not. Yeah. In a way that's cheesy or schmaltzy. Right. Right. Very true. I mean, that's why that's that's why it's a good show. Yeah, but it's it's not. I feel like there's like a spectrum of tone tonality with. Uh, with cartoons and animation where like Pixar it gets more into that but they do such a good job 
where a, yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like like a movie like Soul is almost entirely for adults. Yeah, I think so. It's so existential. Like, well, I don't. I, why would a ten year old want to watch this? Right. Well, the ten year old yeah. just wants to go to a cartoon in the movie theater, and mm-hmm. the adults are that you got to get the adults to buy the tickets. That's why these movies have to appeal to both. Yes. Yes. Um. Anyways, you want to do some comedy news? Yeah. Sure. All right. Let's do it. Uh, I think we're gonna jump around here. I think this would probably be the best point to jump in. It was announced today that a recent episode of The Simpsons uh, where uh, Lisa makes a joke observing the forced labor camps that exist in China, uh, that will not be able to be streamed on Disney Plus in Hong Kong um, because the Chinese state media can't take any sort of criticism whatsoever um, at any level in fact, it was only a few months ago that there was a protest on a bridge, I believe in Beijing, and people would um, post on their version of Twitter, Weibo, that they just saw it. They didn't even say they were pro the protest or anti. They just wanted to say that it existed. They witnessed mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And then that got censored. I believe, and honestly, given that I, I haven't seen this episode of The Simpsons that you're talking about, mm-hmm. I'm frankly somewhat amazed that they let The Simpsons, that most episodes of The Simpsons aren't already banned yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah, because absolutely. they're meant, they're, they, they definitely have, I mean, they haven't obviously haven't seen them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, my guess is that the Chinese censors have not watched most of the episodes of The Simpsons because there are a number of half the episodes are kind of anti authoritarian in some way, some subversive way. Right. And, you know specifically mentioning china is obviously a step too far right. for them but my guess is that they would not be thrilled about much of the content in the whole series right uh <laughs> were they to have watched it i i bet they have some ai bot trying to scrape through every episode of the simpsons and it's only mentions like actual mentions of china yeah i bet up, you're right you know and it's not like they actually paid somebody to sit down and watch because honestly, maybe that would be a risk too. They get radicalized the other way. Yeah, right. They'll start losing <laughs> respect for authority. Yeah, and they'll say things like "eat my shorts." Yeah, and things my like shorts. that. Yeah, and the, the fact the, that people in episode, oh, go on, go on. In season one, they'll be saying "eat my shorts." Imagine what they'll do by season thirty. <laughs> Imagine that becomes the rallying cry for a new Chinese revolution: "eat my shorts." Right, right, right. Not out of the realm of possibility. Do you remember uh, in Thailand? A unfortunately failed revolution. People were using the uh, the hand gesture from um, the Hunger Games into like. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. they were like putting three fingers together up in the air to like as like, oh, we're 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 tired of monarchy. We he th- this whole royal family wastes all our money, and there are a bunch of party boys and girls. And why is there a royal consort, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah. Um, it, it It is kind of fascinating to see the newer generations, the references they rally behind in a way that I'm like, I, well, we thought that was kind of a silly thing, but okay, if that's what means something. That's the great. way everything changes. You never know, like all the most revolutionary songs of your youth are going to be playing in the supermarket, yeah. you know, 20 years later. 
That's mm -hmm. what happens to everything. It always goes through. Sometimes it goes the other direction, as you just said. Right. Something I mean, wasn't intended to be revolutionary becomes revolutionary. Yeah. To think what uh, the who is played in car commercials is just like. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's gotten a lot further than that. But yeah, I mean, that was. <laughs> yes. If the, the show, it, all the stuff that was too outrageous to be played on the radio in 1996 is now playing in the freaking safe way <laughs> as background music. It's just like, that's the way society moves. Right. And the Simpsons, obviously that was once the most outrageous show on television is mm -hmm. now spawned 150 shows that are infinitely more outrageous in some way. Oh, absolutely. And is owned by Disney. Right. <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> that caps it all off. Yeah. And, uh, man, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's truly, I mean, probably, and not, I would give it even like five years. Or, I mean, I bet there are grocery stores now where you hear that Sam Smith song, Unholy, even though a bunch of Republican senators um, publicly spoke out against his Grammy performance just because he dressed up as a devil. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is how time works. What do you, uh, in, 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 I mean, in your view of things, how, um, what, it, what is, how should I ask this? I think what, what, it, what is the, uh, thing to satirize or yeah, what, what in the zeitgeist is worth satirizing right now for you? That is a great question because this is, and I, I think I did an interview about this recently, that the stupidity of American culture has reached the point that it is some, at some times it's kind of hard to satirize. Mm -hmm. And let me explain what I mean. In the, uh, because a lot of things, that, you know, there's a whole genre of stuff people say the Simpsons predicted so-and-so, mm -hmm. right? And many of those things are now things that seem like they could have really happened. For instance, Donald Trump being elected president. Yeah. For instance, people rioting. Okay, episode that Josh and I wrote. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the town is given a statue of Jimmy Carter, and the people are so mad that they start rioting. Mm -hmm. Now, I think I can imagine probably at least 500 places in America where if a statue of Jimmy Carter was unveiled, <laughs> that the people would riot. People would be furious and riot, okay? Right. So it's not so stupid anymore. And I think that's like that's part of what's happened is that is that society uh, certain parts of society are extremely hard to satirize what's not hard to satirize and what still i think will be golden for a long time is stuff is behavior is human behavior mm -hmm. like in the office for example the type of behavior that you see depicted in the office is timeless mm -hmm. and that's i think why that show you know continues to live on in netflix being it's supposed to, you know being over and over this 15 year old sitcom there's number one show on netflix or whatever it's like because that kind of stuff, it, it doesn't get old. Uh, you know, it made the, the suit styles make it old, the way the camera work make it old, but the nature of the human experience and human interaction does not get old. Right. So that's the kind of thing that I would say, it's harder to satirize portions of society than right. it has been in the past, but not the micro, you know, not the small bits, the society, the way that families interact, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I think Mark Maron had the same realization after he left Air America. Uh-huh. Yeah. There there's a very clear point at which he just started talking about 
himself and his relationships and stop talking about leftist politics. Yeah, I can yeah. believe it. And then somehow that correlates to him being a podcast star and like, you know, el elder statesman of comedy, it seems. Well, I haven't heard a lot about Marin, but I think he obviously he's got a skill. He's got a really well-developed skill of keeping this stuff entertaining. And that's part of what, you know, that's what makes people want to keep listening. And, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big fan right. of conservative talk radio, mm -hmm. but there's certain guys who know how to make it entertaining. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of why they're some of the highest rated things, especially for the fact that because of corporate media making, realizing that there's a lot of money to be made off of pushing people to the left or the right. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, that like a, a bunch of people who feel like they've been made fun of from the daily show, they want their version of it. They want. Yeah. To, right. And, right. And so things that, that things have popped up for them. That's why, you know, I can sit and try to be objective and say Gutfeld isn't funny and it's not. <laughs> But it's the so, number one late night talk show in America. It yeah. beats Colbert. It beats Kimmel. Yeah. It beats all of those guys. It beats uh, Jimmy Fallon. It's mm -hmm. the number one late night talk show in America. And it's like, okay, well, I guess, you know. That, yeah, I mean, that's, for how them. that's all you can really is, say at this point. Yeah, that's how the low the bar is for that side of things. Like people who don't identify with all the, the typical run of late night. Have, uh, they're. It, they don't even have to be remotely good they're just like at least this is for me now right i've watched a couple episodes of goodfeld and i was shocked it's like it could be it could be a lot better but i guess there's no reason for them to make it any better right it's just like saying like i identify as a squash or whatever like ah that gets a huge laugh it's like you could have written a better even if you want to make fun of identity politics you could have spent 15 seconds and written a better joke than that you know that's the kind of thing that <laughs> It, it, it's obviously not a lot of hard work is put into the scripting of that show. No, no, it's, it's all, I mean, kind of true to the nature of it. It's all reactionary. I remember yeah. on the first episode of Gutfeld, they opened, they had a cold open with Greg doing it's, it wasn't really a monologue per se. Cause he wasn't really standing there. Like they had some animation elements, but they were like talking he made a crack about Brian Williams lying about going to Mars, I think, which even at the time was, was a 15 dating years joke. out of date, right? Yeah, no. yeah. That's the thing. They, they also, yeah, he, they grudge up a lot of old stuff. Like they're still making fun of Al Gore right. and things like that. It's like, come at least get some new material. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, they, obviously, the audience doesn't care. It's hilarious to them that you're going to make fun of Al Gore or you're going to talk about Chelsea Clinton being an awkward teenager or whatever, or Vince Foster or whatever, like your 30 year old references. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter because they still they push the proper buttons apparently. Right, and then unfortunately, I feel like I mean, there's a I mean, there's a whole book that about this that came out last year that it, it was just not just exploring the right wing comedy and that it exists and explain all the reasons that we were talking about it and uh, the the right wing comedy that's up to date with references unfortunately is like some of the more edge lordy very problematic just in the yes. <laughs> in 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 trying to stand up for free speech so let's say the worst right, thing possible right. right 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 yeah that actually seems like it's 
the, one of your stories here on the news is this. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you for segueing, Bill. Um, I can't, I can't resist this thing. It's the topic is so interesting to me. Yeah, I have a hard time believing this is. Well, do you want to set it up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, AI <laughs> trying to create content is a, a big thing with Hollywood right now. Um, Chat GPT uh, being released on, on the internet, being able to sort of source scripts and a, a lot of other things uh, through the internet and being able to somewhat reasonably write uh, in the voice of someone or the voice of a show or a movie. That's a thing. Um, now for a couple uh, uh, weeks now, um, on Twitch, someone has created a AI that is able to generate these a like animated versions of a of like a facsimile of Seinfeld. It's not actually Seinfeld, but it's like based off of Seinfeld, and it um, generates the dialogue and then the animation to go with it, and it just streams on Twitch uh, at little segments of a time. And it was not only, not only, it was something like last week, people were alarmed because the show itself became self-aware and was wondering why it existed and why it should be around. Uh, and then uh, just this week, um, it, it started writing jokes that are akin to Chappelle and questioning uh, trans identity being valid. Um and so it has been temporarily <laughs> suspended on Twitch and the people who created the whole algorithm and AI and the things that go into making the show are promising to fix it. That is hilarious. Well, first of all, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, the But I see I'm a little skeptical of whether this is really generated by AI. Yeah. It seems like it, it to me, it seems like it's AI is not quite there yet. Right. Uh, and it seems like they're probably I mean, what if I had to guess, mm -hmm. it's the AI, they may maybe the the authors of this thing write outlines and feed it through the AI or whatever, or they just or they're even they're just scripting it and making it sound like AI generated it. Right. Because it's hard for me to believe that the AI is doing this job. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, what you, it, it's not surprising at all that it went if a, if this really is AI, it's not surprising to me at all that it went into the into that bad area because that is a part of comedy that is a very. Can you can you hear my roommate attempt to practice guitar? No. Great. Okay, um, <laughs> perfect. So you're saying about um, what you think the AI, like that it's not purely AI. That's my speculation. Yeah, yeah, I could be completely wrong, but it seems to me like writing comedy is a lot harder than AI. Current AI, I think, can can do. I mean, right. I think it can make stuff that sounds like Seinfeld dialogue. But my suspicion is somebody on either the front or the back end of this is polishing it up in some way. Right. Um, but I, and also, I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if this whole thing was a publicity stunt to begin with, sure. because it got a lot of publicity and. <laughs> Right. It seems unlikely to me that this really happened solely, be not only that solely because of AI and the, there's nobody watching, there's nobody manning the switch there right. who is like, the thing just put this self, it, I think this was a publicity stunt, but I could yeah. be wrong. I, I, I hope it's wrong. I, you know, I, um, 
I I've seen actual AI attempts at comedy and it's so bad. Yes. It's, it's so bad. It's like the only thing that it gets right is that there's like grammatically correct sentences and then there's like something resembling cadence of a joke. But other right. than that, it feels like if somebody was actually saying this, um, I would wonder if they're about to have a stroke. <laughs> correct. Yes, that's well said. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was I, I know it was a while ago. So, I mean, I, I'm, sh I'm sure machine learning AIs advanced since then, but I think it was like six or seven years ago, they somebody fed all these sci-fi scripts into an algorithm and then it spat out like a sci-fi movie. And then they used like Thomas Middleditch and somebody else to like, yes, that was really this? funny. Yes. Yeah. And it was like, is my brain breaking? Like what is going on? Yes. It was hilarious because of it's, but the fact that they, they, they executed it in such a deadpan way was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But that, that's where I, I don't think that, uh, yeah, it's, comes to understand sort of like narrative arcs and like it just is averaging out things that it sees and is scanning and it doesn't if that you know if that. if that i think i know that hollywood know that people <laughs> i'm sure that hollywood studios are eager to be able to replace writers with right. computer but right. i don't think it's going to happen as quickly as they want it to happen right right um Especially, if and I also know. don't think that it could, you know, like I think that the, I think a computer look, think about how many shitty TV and how many movie scripts are written every year, right? And how many of them are bad? Probably 95% of them are bad, and those are written right. by humans who put a lot right. of time and effort into them, right? You know, it's possible that an idea mm -hmm. that I, I will come up with an idea for a movie and even write maybe a couple, write an outline for it, but someone else is going to have to fix it, you know. I think that's that's about as good as it's ever going to get, I think, yeah. Maybe what'll happen is that it'll 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 be relegated to like I, I'm sure AI could come up with Sharknado twenty. Yes. Yes. And it could come up with a hundred it could come up with an infinite number of sentences of <laughs> concepts for horror movies right. that you look a human would have to look through and say, Oh, that one is worth doing. You yeah. know, or that those two are worth doing. But then somebody has to do it as well. That's the thing that's like right. it's not going to be generated by a computer. Right. And even if it would, who's going to watch it? You know, there's such an immense. That's the problem with with the content. Even if a computer were able to make movies now, mm -hmm. it still have to compete with 4000 other TV shows and a million movies that are already online. It's not right. going to it's not more likely to be any more successful than one created by a human or even an old one. Right. I think that the route for that would best be like a touring exhibition at museums as like, yeah, look at look at what we did. This is what we did. Right. Yeah. And that'd be it. Uh, speaking of shows running without their creators, uh, today, uh, Rick and Morty, it, it was announced that Rick and Morty at Adult Swim, one of the most popular animated shows currently and probably in history, um, will finish its seven ep 70 episode run without uh, Justin Roiland, who co created the show due to uh, his numerous ongoing uh, assault charges, um, which had recently become public and have resulted in him having ties with both Hulu and Adult Swim severed, as well, I'm sure, other partners. Um, 
yeah i don't even know another animated show that got that many episodes ordered at one time no i obviously i mean this thing was a making a gazillion dollars, you know, I was mm -hmm. making hundreds and hundreds of million dollars in merchandise alone, right? Um, all over the world. So it's like a huge, it's, obviously it's gone way, it's grown much like you might say, the Simpsons or whatever mm -hmm. has grown way past its creator to yes. be a thing. And it's no longer, it, 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 it's no longer tied to its creator. It's a thing mm -hmm. like the hydrogen bomb. <laughs> it's no longer <laughs> tied to Oppenheimer. It's uh -huh. a thing that lives on its own. And the thing is a giant money-making machine that whatever, that I don't even know who owns, what is it, Time Warner? Who owns Time Warner these days? It'd be it, Warner Discovery then. Yeah, okay. It's not going to let that go, period. No, no. And, yeah, that is the one thing they won't cancel because they know it makes money. No, of course not. And furthermore, everybody should say, you know, this is another kind of world's smallest violin situation, I think, for... Mr. Roiland, because let's remember that Mr. Roiland is still probably receiving a boatload of money for the episode, every episode produced, as well as a significant percentage of that merchandise. Right. So it's like he's not going to be, it's not like he's going to be poverty stricken. He'll probably still be making millions and millions of dollars a year without having to do anything other than, you know, I guess, revive his reputation at some point down the road. Right. And I've, in fact, to that point, I bet there were discussions because this de decision wasn't arrived to immediately as soon as like all that stuff came out. I'm sure there were very tight knit closed door discussions about, OK, how much money will we lose if we keep Justin on and he goes to rehab and we do this whole public facing thing versus buying him out? I suspect that there probably at some point was. How many people that are fans of Rick and Morty around the world have ever even heard of Justin Roiland? I would suspect <laughs> it probably is less than 1% because people don't know who made up. The only only people who are in the business know who made up a show. You know, like I couldn't tell you who made up Bewitched, for instance, even though I watched it when I was a kid all the time. Sure. You know, that's a, a good example of uh, like people don't, people, you know, us being somewhat in this business or you know podcasting about it we know the right. names of the creators right. but the average person doesn't read entertainment news and no. will never have heard of any of this maybe they've heard of dan but that's because dan is a very public figure yeah and still my guess is it's probably five percent maybe from right. him on, on a separate note i do imagine that dan at some point has drunkenly said to himself i have become death the destroyer of worlds yeah <laughs> um yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that, that it it is tr truly a crazy thing that, um, well, that it is grown beyond its original creator, but that also like for all the years that now at this point, a talk of specifically just abuse against women that this we're still this still being unpacked, and it's still seemingly pervasive. I, I'm not really like an expert in this field, but I will say I just read an article. I think it was like maybe it was in Vanity Fair or whatever, like right. about a month ago about how little has actually changed right. since the whole Me Too thing. Like right. they sent Bill Cosby to jail. They sent, although he's going to start going on tour next year. So that well, that's really what his plan is. And it's yeah. like, who's going to book it? They sent Bill Cosby to jail. They sent 
Harvey Weinstein to jail. Yeah. And a few other people. And a couple of guys got fired from the grotesquely abusive show running situations at CBS. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was it. Right. But like nobody like the fact of the matter is that Hollywood has been has always been bad at enforcing this crap. Hollywood was completely invented out of guys mm -hmm. who wanted to sleep, as we all know from The Godfather. Right. <laughs> the studio heads who'd be sleeping with every 12 year old who auditioned, you know, and it's like the whole place is infected with that kind of thing. And nobody mm -hmm. is going to stop it. That's the problem that people like some people will say, especially if the show's profit, you know, it's easy to fire someone. Mm -hmm. Harvey Weinstein, by the way, was already basically way 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 on the downswing when people finally decided to cancel him it wasn't like right. he was at the peak of his career right he was already fading into oblivion right it, like it takes a lot it take it would take an incredible moral stand for any studio to get rid of someone and they did it with justin roiland i guess mm -hmm. but they obviously as you said justin roiland is not tom cruise he's not someone that he's he, his presence doesn't bring people into the theaters in india right. no. <laughs> or malaysia <laughs> you know right Right, right, right. He, he he is a he is a behind the scenes person, and I think that like most studios, even if there's still like a human resources type of thing, people could put it takes an, an immense amount of egregiously bad behavior for them to do a single thing to a, a profitable enterprise. Right, right. Yeah, I as I don't know your feelings about the movie Fight Club, but I always I do think about the back often to one of the earlier scenes about. When Ed Norton's explaining why how car companies decide whether they're going to do a recall, and it's like, well, right, yes, yeah, is it more costly to do the recall or more costly to take on the class action lawsuit? That's how business operates. You know, that's a, the unfortunate thing about capitalism. One of the many unfortunate things about capitalism is that that's how business operates, and it's always a you know, zero sum gain. Is it worth the, the cigarette business? The cigarette industry <laughs> notoriously went down that pike too. Like mm -hmm. so, like they we want to lose the guy who can run the show. In, in the case of Justin Roiland, he's replaceable. You know, he is. But the the ninety nine percent of the viewers will never know that there's someone else doing the voice. Right. They and and it won't matter and it certainly won't matter to people who are watching it in you know reruns 15 years from now or 20 years from now no. that you know if you're a replaceable person you're a lot more vulnerable mm -hmm. as opposed to someone like bill cosby or harvey weinstein that was an amazing occurrence when both of those guys went down because they were not replaceable guys right right they were not for what they stood for although i i like to voice that you know for people that often have trouble when uh, these things come up with their favorite artists, performers, writers, comedians, um, and they, they they struggle with their relationship of the work that they love. Um, I feel like a lot of what I do is like, hey, that it sucks that that happened. There's plenty of great stuff being made by new people that aren't problematic. Yeah. That you, should, you can love and enjoy. Even if you just want to you want another straight white guy? There's still lots of funny, unproblematic versions of that. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't, people seem to have a hard time realizing like, oh, I there's this other option that is I don't have to be, feel conflicted with. Well, big companies are built to avoid, uh, big companies are built to be blame avoidance machines yeah. so that everyone can claim that they didn't know about it 
it, or if they didn't, it was high up, it didn't rise to my level, I would have done something about it. Like it's there's there's so many great trapdoors built into a corporation where people can claim that they didn't know about it or that it didn't rise to a certain level or whatever, it got lost in the HR emails. There's so many great ways to avoid having to be accountable for that stuff. And that's why very few people ever pay the price. Yeah, because accountability cuts into profit margins. Right. But there is this, as you as we all know, there's this crazy, there's this cult of the genius. Well, he's a genius, so he gets to act like a total asshole all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it it's like there's also the thin line between acting like an asshole mm -hmm. and sexual harassment. You know, like it's still perfectly fine in most venues in Hollywood to act like a total asshole because, well, you gotta, gotta run a tight ship, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. And, but once it starts treading into mm -hmm. sexual harassment or actionable right. stuff, then it's like, wait a minute, we make it sued. And then the accountants come and it's like, well, the, then the, the money comes into play. How much can we potentially lose in this lawsuit? Is it worth derailing this movie that's in production right. for that? You know, the it's, as it all comes down to the do almighty dollar, right. as we all know. Right. And that's been more and more transparent as of late with Warren Discovery, like just writing stuff off of their books because they they are in the red. Yeah. And and it's it's not even like a like a quality thing. They're just like, well, we're throwing this off. We're canceling this. We're. Um, and then we're going to keep problematic star Ezra Miller as the Flash, and we'll deal with it later. I'm sure there was a spreadsheet somewhere that indicated that that was going to be a profitable move. Yeah. That's with the, you know, you don't, <laughs> that's, a computer can make these decisions. Yeah. You know, that's the way, that, that that's where the AI comes in. It's like right. the AI decided Ezra Miller was going to remain profitable despite the, the, the you know, potential of 65% potential of a lawsuit. Right. That's why I, I don't know how this would happen, but I would urge people to just rally around and all not watch one Marvel movie. So it ruins the whole algorithm. They, they like did all these projection forecasting and then, and then nobody saw it and they didn't make any money. And then the whole thing's ruined and they can't like do whatever they do based off of like, oh, the, the, the trailer got this many millions of views and this many hours on this day. This means they will make this much money. I don't have any objection to that plan. I think it sounds pretty valid. Like yeah. I think the thing is that we're also in a stage now where every movie movie is a global thing. And like, even if people in America don't give a shit about it, it still could make a billion dollars overseas where people like, where you can go to the movies for 25 cents in India, for example. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people don't have Netflix and it's extremely thrilling to see something like the Avatar, The Way of Water, which mm -hmm. is now the most profitable movie of all time that nobody I know ever saw or even talks about, you know? And that's like, that's kind of the thing. It's a, it's a entertain. It's a global thing. Most big projects are now a global thing. As we started out with this thing, with China, uh, you know, you don't want to anger China <laughs> with your Simpsons episodes either, you know, because right. things there's you have to pay the price. Right, because international gross it often doubles, triples, quadruples whatever domestic yeah. gross is. Yeah, and China's a big part of that. But so is like, so is India and. Japan. Yeah, I, and there's a very economics of the system are very different there, as far at least from what I know. Yeah, it seems like that there there's the movie theaters are still playing a huge role in people's entertainment, is from what I understand. So, so the question then remains, Bill, how are you going to tour uh, Mission Hill in Hong Kong? <laughs> I would be shocked if there was even one Mission Hill fan in Hong Kong. I mean, we're finding places like 
you can tell where this Mission Hill fans are. They're in places like Portland and Austin mm -hmm. and Brooklyn. They're not in places <laughs> like uh, Midland, Odessa, <laughs> Texas. Right. You know, or Moscow. And that's part of, <laughs> right. And they're not that I think that I don't even think the show aired overseas. I think it may have aired in Australia briefly, but like I'm not worried about that. If, if by the way, if anybody listening to this wants to, us to fly to Hong Kong or Australia to do the show, we'd be happy to do it for one person as long as you pay for our <laughs> our travel. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be great. It would be. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, then I, who, who knows? I mean, the it being on YouTube and everyone having access to it could be a number of things. I remember when quarantine set in and we all had this crash course in how to do comedy over Zoom and a bunch of us failed. Uh, people tuned in from all over the world because they could. Uh, I specifically remember Second City of Chicago, they were doing live stream shows uh, of like improv and sketch and people in Japan would just figure out the right time to tune in, which would be some like two in the morning, and then they would watch, which is wild to me. But that's what yeah. that's the good side of technology and what is sort yeah, of afforded right. us. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else you're looking forward to with Mission Hill or anything else coming up that it, maybe you don't want certain corporate ears to hear? Well, a couple things. Uh, one, obviously, everybody should. Um, I got a couple things I'd like to plug besides Mission Hill, but Mission Hill, um, obviously, is if you are in one of the cities I mentioned earlier, and to reiterate, that would be Los Angeles, New York, Washington, Atlanta, Cincinnati, um, and Seattle. Those are where we're booked now, but we're booking more shows. You follow me on Twitter, that Bill Oakley, uh, and I tweet about it. And also, this my show, uh, Productions, also is a place where uh, Jeremy has linked up to all, to all of the stuff. Um, so that's the tour. But uh, as far as other projects, number one, uh, the most successful thing I've ever been involved in that was not created by Matt Groening is my project Space 1969, which you can find on Audible, which is a it's it's some it's more like a radio show because it's mm -hmm. not a podcast exactly or audio book exactly, mm -hmm. starring Natasha Leone. It's mm -hmm. a retro sci-fi comedy. I won't spoil too much about it, but if you like, if you're interested. Google it. Uh, if you like Natasha Leone's comedy, you will like it. If you like my style of comedy, you will like it. Mm -hmm. And lastly, my food thing, if you, as many of you may know, um, my at least half my time now is devoted to fashioning myself into a food celebrity. And I'm pleased to report that I'm at least half the way there, I think. <laughs> um, I have a club for people who like to talk about food and read about food and hear about food, which is the Steamed Ham Society, named after my sketch from The Simpsons that I wrote, mm -hmm. the Steamed Ham Sketch. So go to steamedhamssociety.com. You can sign up. There's a number of different levels. Um, there's a Discord, which is active with food stuff 24 hours a day. We have live streams. There's a special level for Simpsons fans. Um, and there's there's all sorts of stuff you can do uh, with that. And it's a lot of fun. So take that. Take a look at that if you have some time and, and you're interested in food. I don't, need to, I don't like to use the word foodie because I think it's stupid. But that's what describing the type of person who might want to sign up for this. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I wonder if the Gen Z kids will come up with a better. Well, actually, you know what? They'll probably come up with a stupider sounding name than. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. I I, I I wish I had come up with one, but I still haven't. Yeah, and then trying to get vernacular to catch on is so hard. Yeah, I know. That's why it's called the Steamed Hams 
food discovery and enthusiasts club or something like that. I have a long name that does not have any, any vernacular in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 1800 style name. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Bill. This has been uh, wonderful and I am very honored to have you on. Thank you. It's been a total pleasure. It's been fun talking about all this <laughs> contemporary stuff. Um, and uh, hope to see you guys, all you listeners at one of these Mission Hill shows. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I am Jake Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau on socials. You can find me on Instagram at Not the Supermarket and on Twitter at MFJ Kroger. So many great causes to support this time. So I, I please ask that you support those. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau so it can keep running for more and more decades. Uh, do you have anything to say as we sign off here, Bill? Have a great week, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the original one. Yeah. The original yep. sign off. All right. Yeah. I Ta-ta. actually don't think anybody has said that, but uh, <laughs> on this podcast, um, comedy is very much happening. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Guineo, artwork by Andrew Delman and KT, and part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.